Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. I mentioned before our reading tonight, we uh, have in several recent messages here at the church uh, mentioned much to you already about uh, this church that exists in uh, this city of Corinth in this province in the ancient world uh, called in verse number one of chapter one uh, by the name of Achaia. Uh, We've talked about this church and I have in other messages uh, talked to you about the difference between uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and how in 1 Corinthians it is exposed to us about the many problems that uh, the church at Corinth experienced and and how in 2 Corinthians some of those things uh, have changed. We come here this evening to uh, the introductory verses of the uh, introductory chapter of the second epistle uh, of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians and uh, we understand that he is just beginning Uh, some of those words as he begins uh, to come off of the premise of dealing with the issues in 1 Corinthians and now he is moving into uh, more spiritual development more uh, development, more uh, doctrinal training of these uh, these, uh, uh, Corinthian Christians if you will and we come to this chapter we come to it realizing that it is a chapter uh, that is overly laden with scriptural revelations uh, to you and as believers and we understand that uh, here in this passage there's much uh, that we could deal with and not have the time uh, this evening to deal uh, with all of them and so uh, this evening I do want us to take the words uh, of this passage of scripture and uh, look at a couple of verses uh, that we have read together this evening and bring out one thought and preach that uh, as the message tonight but before we do uh, let me just uh, reminds you of the context uh, of uh, this uh, of this uh, chapter and of our verses tonight. Of course, we understand as has already previously been mentioned that Corinth was a church. Uh, the Corinth was the church to whom uh, this letter, this epistle was written and its audience was those in Corinth as well as according to chapter 1 verse 1, all of those that were saved, all of the saints of God uh, in the surrounding regions of Achaia in this province uh, in the ancient world. Uh, Corinth alone was a large city that consisted of nearly 750,000 people. Uh, It was said that nearly uh, 500,000 of these uh, were most likely slaves uh, serving their wealthy masters. Uh, Corinth was a city that was known uh, for being a very corrupt city. It was corrupt as most people believe uh, due to the amount of wealth that uh, was held by the citizens of those uh, in Corinth. They uh, had great wealth and great wealth afforded them uh, certain levels of indulgences in life uh, that they were able to participate in just simply because they had the means to do so. I do believe that the Bible does tell us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10 that the love of money is the root of all evil and I understand that loving money 
Uh, is the root of all evil. But I will say this, the simple possessions of great riches, while it is not the root of all evil, it definitely does open the door uh, to many of, many of the carnal and fleshly vices of the world. And there are some vices that people with great wealth have an opportunity uh, to enter into that uh, those that have more meager means may never even have an opportunity to know. And let me say this this evening. I know we all uh, would say that there is uh, there are things in life we'd like to be able to have and things that we'd like to be able to do. But I'm telling you tonight, I'm thankful not just for the things that God has given me in life, uh, but as many have said down through the years of things that God has kept me from. Amen. Because there are just some things in life that I've never had to worry about. Amen. Uh, because God never put me into a place to where I had the opportunity uh, to engage in certain sinful uh, activity. Amen. And I'm thankful for that this evening. Amen. There are some things in life that I have to make sure myself that I don't put myself in a position uh, to where I could tempt my flesh. But there are some things that God's just taken care of that for me. And I don't want to rob him of praise for that tonight. Amen. For these Corinthians uh, here that the Apostle Paul is dealing with, uh, that has become the well-known testimony of their city. That they are a city that is filled with wealth, that is filled with corruption, that is filled with sin and vice on every hand. And the saddest part of the testimony here in this city of Corinth is, yes, it's sad that the city itself is filled with those things, but sadder still is the fact that it didn't just stay on the outside and in the in the secular parts of Corinth, but that these sinful activities and mentalities and behaviors had begun to work themselves into this church at Corinth, and it began that their mindset had become begun to be adapting uh, the world's mindset, and they had absorbed the mentality of those around them. And by the way, uh, that is something that you and I are very prone to do unless we are careful to let God be the one that our mind is steadfast on Him and our, He has our mind and our thoughts and our, our, our uh, attention. Amen. That's why it's important to read our Bible. That's why it's important to listen to good music. That's why it's important uh, to be faithful to the house of God. Anything that we can do to, to one more time put our attention back on the Lord will help us to keep our minds off of the things of the world and beginning to adopt the mentalities and the actions that the world does. Amen. This had taken place in this church at Corinth. First Corinthians, Paul had to deal with the specifics of their sinful ways and their love for carnality and he preached repentance to them without apology or hesitation. By the time that the apostle Paul pins this opening chapter in his second epistle uh, to the Corinthians, our text for this evening, Paul has finally been able to meet up with his young ministry student and partner in church planning by the name of Titus uh, who has given Paul the good news of the Corinthians repentance and the redirection of their behavior. In 2 Corinthians we see Paul again as a pastor but not as one who has been engaging in the activity of rebuke and reproof but now in 2 Corinthians we find Paul as their mentor as their spiritual father not reproving them and rebuking them only but now he begins an entire book of scripture of exhortation 
means to them. He is exhorting them in their walk with him. Amen. And so he is trying his best to do that. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said in 1 Corinthians, we find that the roof is taken off of the church at Corinth and we are allowed for the scriptures to get a peek inside of what is going on in this church. But 2 Corinthians the, uh, does not open the church, but rather it opens the heart of the Apostle Paul and lets us see his love and his concern for the work of the Lord. And so that's where we are uh, when we come to this book of the Bible. Paul, as he writes, 2 Corinthians is a man who, although he is still pouring himself into these believers, into his uh, spiritual children, he is having to pour into them uh, despite going through great personal trials. The Bible tells us about the personal trials of the Apostle Paul. He mentions here in our text some things that he's going through in verse number 8. He says, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant or for them not to know the details that he's about to share. He said, we would not have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength in so much that we despaired even of life. I'm going to continue reading in just a moment, but while we're reading this verse tonight, let me say this. Listen to your pastor tonight when I say that all of those that'll tell you that God will never put on you more than you can handle, they are lying to you, and the, that may sound good, and it may sound spiritual, but they there is not one ounce of scripture to prove that. Here we find the Apostle Paul said that he was in trouble so much it was above strength for him. He, in other words, Paul's putting it this way. He's saying, I can't handle this. All of those liars that say, God will never put on you more than you can handle. Apparently, they never talked to the Apostle Paul because he would have put them straight. He said, I can't handle this. I can't. I, I felt like I couldn't even breathe. I, I felt like I couldn't live another moment. He said, we despaired even of life. He said, we thought we were done. Our life was over. That's how bad this situation was for Paul. He said in verse 9, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raiseth the dead. Paul's faith is seen in verse number 2 when he talks about, he says, who delivered us from so great a death. He praises God for delivering him from certain death. But then he also says this, he said, who delivered us, that's past tense. He said, and doth deliver, that's present tense. And then he said, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, that is a perspective tense. In other words, Paul's saying that God has took care of me and God has provided for me in the past. He's taken care of me through my trials in the past. He's doing it in the present. And if he's done it in the past and he's doing it in the present, well, I just surmise that he's going to do it in the future. He's trusting in the Lord for being a God that is above the trials of life and bigger than the trials of life and is so um, has is so attentive to his Christians while they're going through times of suffering. He's giving God praise for this. 
Now, let me say this, that subject of suffering and the need of comfort in suffering is the theme of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We'll deal with some of that more in a minute. But let me just, let me say this <coughs> before we move on tonight. The Apostle Paul, we see his trouble. We see his tribulation, his trial here in these verses. Just this particular instance, just the one that he's mentioning right here. But can I say this tonight, and I know that this is elementary preaching, and I know all of you have been in church long enough to know and have studied your Bible enough to know that the Apostle Paul was no stranger to trials all along his journey for the Lord. He is no stranger for trials. I looked at the testimony of Paul's life from the moment that he got saved in the book of Acts as I was looking over this message this afternoon. I thought about this. Acts chapter number 9 is the chapter in which Paul is converted. It's the chapter that Paul is saved in. Just a few verses after Paul is saved, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 18 that Paul is baptized between verse 18 and verse number 25. It is shortly after his baptism, Paul preaches his very first sermon in which he preaches Christ. Uh, there preaches his first sermon and after he preached his first sermon he had to be snuck out of the city so that he wouldn't be killed saved same chapter now saved baptized preaches his first sermon as a God called preacher and after the very first sermon somebody wanted to kill him to where the rest of those that were saved had to put him over a wall under the shade of darkness for him to be able to write our chapter of scripture tonight can I say this it didn't start out too promising for Paul in his life as a Christian as far as we would look at it. His ministry may not have looked like uh, it was a man headed in a very good place. That's how he got started living for Jesus. That's how he got started preaching the gospel. Didn't look very promising for Paul, but God took care of him. Amen. I'd imagine that was a great, that was a great trial. Chapter 9, verse 26 through 29. Uh, people in the very churches that he was preaching to, the Bible says that they were afraid to listen to him and Barnabas had to vouch uh, for his salvation and so that he would be able to preach in Christian churches. And as soon as he is allowed to preach there, there are more people trying to kill him. Doesn't sound like Paul is having a bed of roses out of his life. Acts 13, verse 1 through 3, Acts 13, verse 6 through 8, tells us that shortly after Paul's uh, sent out of the church at Antioch, and he is ordained uh, as a representative of that church to go to the Gentiles, he is opposed by Satan. There are demons that he has to uh, uh, that he has to contend against. Acts thirteen forty four and forty five. He is opposed by the Jews, those that he used uh, to a group that he used to be a part of, and at one time would have been his comrades. Now they are opposing him because now he preaches Christ. Acts fourteen verse seven and verse nineteen. Paul preaches in Derby and Lystra. He sees God do a great work. He heals an impotent man but was stoned by the crowds and left for dead. 
I believe in my, my heart of hearts, I believe Paul died. I believe that was where he was translated to the third heaven as he later writes about and saw things that he could not talk about. Amen. I believe God spared his life though. Acts 15, 36 through 41, the Bible tells of a, of a personnel dispute that causes Paul to lose his most faithful and trusted companion. He has a mentor in the ministry, Barnabas, departs and leaves. I'm telling you, it's not all easy street for the Apostle Paul in serving God. In Acts 16, 16 through 24, Paul and his new co-laborer Silas are beaten and jailed for standing for God. Now I am thankful that God does, amen, pull a jailhouse rock in the middle of the night and releases them, amen. But it's not, it's not always going to be easy serving Jesus, amen. Acts 17, 1 through 9, the Thessalon Thessalonians, uh, they oppose Paul's preaching so harshly that he must leave their city and go to the next town and they hate him so much they follow him to the next town just to oppose him some more. In Acts chapter 21 and verse 27 Paul is seized in the temple by the Jews there in verse 31 of the same chapter they are about to kill him. They have their minds set toward killing him but an uproar in Jerusalem causes his, mur uh, causes his murderers to change focus and leave and Paul survives. In verse 33, he doesn't get killed because of that change of direction, but the Bible says that he's still bound in chains. In Acts chapter 22, and through Acts chapter 23, verse number 11, Paul gets passed from one unfair court to the next unfair court, defending himself when he should have never been arrested in the first place. Again, I say it's not all been easy street for Paul in serving Jesus. In Acts 23, verse 12, more Jews are conspiring to kill Paul. They say that we're not going to eat until Paul is dead. In Acts chapter 24 through Acts chapter number 26, Paul is again going through more unjust court proceedings. In Acts chapter 27 through the last chapter of the book of Acts chapter number 28, we find that Paul is still a prisoner. While he's still a prisoner, he is loaded onto a boat that eventually wrecks because they will not believe his warning from God and he is only freed. He only escapes with his life from his prison because the ship wrecks and when the ship, the ship wrecks he's thrown into the water has to sail to the nearby uh, the nearby uh, land of Mylita. Amen. He swims to the island only when he gets there to be bitten by a viper that comes out of the fire that he's standing there just trying to get dry and trying to get warm. Can I say it's not always been easy street for Paul serving Jesus. You look at what the Bible has to say. We don't have time to read it tonight, but Paul has his trials summarized in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through 33 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 through 10 not only talks about the, the trials that Paul has went through both without physically and within uh, mentally and emotionally and spiritually amen but 2 Corinthians 12 talks about a 
physical malady that Paul has called a thorn in the flesh that God will not allow to be removed from him even though he's being faithful, even though he's serving God, and even though he's giving God everything he has, God is making sure that he retains a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. I'm telling you again tonight, it's not always easy serving God. It doesn't mean that your life with God is going to be without trials and without suffering and without hard days. I will say this, friend, tonight, that if you are close to God, it seems as times, according to this Bible, the closer you get to God, the more you'll deal with, the more sufferings you'll have. Can I say this? There is a ministry of our God that only manifests itself in sufferings. The Bible here tells us that as Paul is asking, giving a testimony of God's working on his behalf in his time of tribulation that right before he gives us the words of verse 8 through 11 and talks about how he trusts that the same God that has delivered in the past, that is delivering in the present, will deliver in the future. He gives us an inside view into why God allows us to go through times of suffering. Why God allows us to go through times of trial. If I can put it this way, Paul is teaching these Corinthian Christians who according to verse number 7, now look at your Bible, verse number 7, Paul says, our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation Paul here is saying to them, I know I'm telling you what I'm going through, knowing that you as a partaker of Christ, as, a, as someone that's saved by the grace of God, and you are a part of this ministry that God has called me to, I'm going through times of suffering, and I recognize that you are too. And with that in mind, Paul unfolds to these Corinthian believers why it is that God lets us go through what we go through. So for, the few, for a few minutes, and I know I've preached, I've preached enough already, but for a few minutes I want to preach on this thought. Why do we go through what we go through? I believe Paul gives here three specific reasons that we go through what we go through. I'm going to quickly try to give them to you as fast as I can. Number one, why does God, why does God allow us to go through what we go through? Why do we go through what we go through? Number one, to learn a new characteristic of God. To learn a new characteristic of God. Notice what the Bible says here in verse number 3. The Bible says, Blessed be God. Now, I wish I had time to develop that the way uh, that I want to. Uh, this blessed be God is a, is a term of great explanation, uh, or a exclamation rather. Brother Kyle mentioned it in your, you mentioned in your praise report a minute ago. You said, I just don't know how to convey uh, how thankful I am for what God's done. 
Paul did, he did what you said you didn't know how to do by simply saying, blessed be God. In other words, this word blessed carries with it the idea of being now, don't y'all get me wrong, okay? Here's what it carries the idea of, being adorable. Not in the sense of being cute, though. In the sense of being able to be adored. You are God. He's saying, God, you are adorable. You are able and worthy of my, uh, my adoration. You are worthy of my praise. He here begins in the text to extol the Lord, to worship Him with profound reverence, to address Him with exalted thoughts, to pay divine honor to Him, to love Him in the highest degree uh, with His words to regard him with the utmost esteem and affection and respect to speak to him as one who is divine and one who is royal and one who is, uh, is the only one able to do the things that he's being praised for. Paul says, blessed be God. Here he begins in verse 3 to praise God, number one, for who he is. He gives us in this passage three descriptions of the Lord that he is praising God for. And I'll say this, that the first two things that he is praising God for, the first, rather, the first three things that he's praising God for found here in these words are things that... When you're saved by the grace of God, you will readily recognize as a part of who God is. Look with me real quickly. Again, I'm going to have to hurry through some of these things. But the first thing that he is praising God for is the fact that, notice he says this, blessed be God. When he says God, that is, uh, that is the word theos that is being used there. It means that uh, he is the only true God. In other words, Paul said, God, I'm giving you glory. I'm giving you praise because only you uh, can do what I'm praising you for. I'm giving you glory, first of all, because you are the only God and you are the true God. He gives him glory for being who he is. Amen. And this word theos does uh, bring all of the three parts of the Trinity uh, into uh, this view collectively. He is, he is uh, the one, uh, Paul is saying, when he calls him the one and true God, he is saying you are the one that looks like God ought to look. You are the one that acts like God ought to act. Amen. You are the one that has the nature that God ought to have. He completely is separating this God from man in every way. He's God. Amen. Everything about him says he's God. Everything he does declares that that's exactly what God ought to be. You know, there are millions of people in the world that are worshiping something that they call God. Amen. But it doesn't look the way God ought to look. Amen. I'm talking about just how we would understand. How do, what do you want your God to look like? How do you want your God to sound and to speak? What kind of attributes do you want God to have? If you could dream 
dream of, the very best God that you could ever think of. That's exactly who he is tonight, the only true God. Secondly, he praises him for being the God that is the Father of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the burden of my heart tonight, but when he talks about the Father, it is a word that carries the idea of origin. It means that he is the parent, the, proge the progenitor. Uh, literally, this is what it says it is. He is the Father of Jesus Christ. As far as the, the physical bodily form of the Son, second part of the Godhead, as far as the human body is concerned, God the Father is His natural Father. Amen. In other words, He has given Him glory. Amen. When He says that God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is giving God glory for being the one that sent His Son into the world to die for all of us that God became an incarnate man that God was wrapped in a body of flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father that's what he's given him glory for He's God, the only and true. He's God, the Father of our G of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God the Father of mercies. This means that he is the originator of mercy means that he is the source of mercy. It means that he is the one who transmits mercy to all of those who will encounter it. Without, in other words, he's saying this, Paul has given God glory for the fact that if it wasn't for him, Paul would have never known mercy. Paul would have never known what it was to have God show pity upon him and to not give him what he did deserve, which was a really hot spot in the lake of hell, amen, and destruction forever. But God did not give him what he did deserve. I think about Brother Kronz on Sunday morning giving us that beautiful illustration of 2 Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 9, where it talked about Mephibosheth and the kindness that David showed Mephibosheth. That kindness that David showed Mephibosheth was mercy because Mephibosheth had a right by being a son of a previous king to be killed, but David didn't kill him. But the fact that God, or David rather, put him at the king's table, that was grace, amen. If it wasn't for God, none of us in this building would ever have a clue what it means to experience mercy. He's the father of mercies. But here tonight, he is the God of all comfort. Amen. This may be as far as I get tonight. Notice what the Bible says in verse number four, verse number three, the last characteristic of God that's mentioned here. The Bible said, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. If you study this first chapter of 2 Corinthians, you'll find out that the word all appears over and over and over again. Sometimes it appears so much it is almost unnatural to our common speech, our common vernacular to have the word all infused into so many sentences and phrases. We, we don't normally talk like that where we say all of this and, and all of that and just 
us use the word all repetitiously in school. We're taught when it comes to writing some sort of composition not to use the same words over and over again. But apparently the English teacher have not, has not told God how to write his Bible because God has the word all appearing over and over again. I'm telling you, I don't, amen, I can't explain all of the reasons why God put it in there except for the fact that I know God wanted to be in there and there's a message in all those alls and I'm telling you, it'll probably come to this pulpit soon and we'll talk all about the alls, amen. But he says he is the God of all comfort. Let me remind you this tonight, the fact that he is the God of all comfort, just as he is the God, and it says he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the Father of mercies. It reminds us that God is the only one who can claim this description of himself. There's not a man alive, there's not a woman alive that can describe themselves as the person of all comfort. Because you and I as human beings, we are, and, I, and God is an emotional being in many ways. He is where our emotional, our emotional state comes from. But I'll say this tonight, we are not in perfect control over our emotions as He is. And there may be times someone comes to you and needs comfort, and you won't have, you'll have very little to no comfort to offer them. We can't say that I, I can't say that I am a man of all comfort. I have, I have as since the time that I got saved and called to preach, my life's verse, my, my life verse, my entire childhood was First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse number 8, where it said, So affectionately being desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you uh, our very souls because you were dear unto us. My, my life's verse from a small child was to give my entire life and do everything that I could to help people to learn more about Jesus, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus, to teach the Word of God. I've given my entire life to it to this point and plan to do, uh, to live out the rest of my life doing exactly the same thing. I've given my life to that, Brother Gary, but I can't even pray. And I've counseled folks and tried my best to help people, but I can't even promise that I can be a person of all comfort. I'm human flesh just like you are, and there are times where the well will be dry, emotionally speaking. There may be times that I, as a human being, may not be able to give you the comfort and the help you need. Man cannot claim this. But I'm glad tonight that we have a God in heaven where it's not just a claim, but it is who He is. The Bible says it is a description of who He is. He is the God of all comfort. Man cannot claim this. Neither can any little G-O-D God that is worshipped by the religions of the world. The Buddha cannot claim to be an offerer of all comfort. He might can offer you religious uh, nirvana to where you think that you are at peace, usually through some kind of drug-induced psychosis, but he can't offer you real comfort. In real peace. Allah, the God of the Muslims, 
formerly called Mohammedans. He can't offer you peace. Allah is a God of war. Allah is not interested in peace. For you, to, for you to make it to his paradise, you have to be a man of war. And the reason for that is the creator of that wicked religion, Muhammad, was a, was a madman with a thirst for blood. The fastest growing religion in the world is Islam. And it is built on offering the world no peace. Offering them pleasure in paradise, but no peace, no comfort. Aren't you glad tonight that we're not here in a mosque? Amen. Who would have ever thought that here in the United States of America, that one of the buildings that is erected the most in our nations would be Islamic mosques. There's more mosques going up than churches. I'm glad tonight, Brother Charlie, I'm not in a mosque tonight. I'm thankful that we are in a church house, a place that was built here by the side of the road to be a holy sanctuary to the one true God and to be able to bring in saints and sinners alike and say in that God that is the God of this house, there is comfort to be found and peace to be had and joy to be had in the Lord. No matter what you're going through, no matter the trials of your life, no matter how hard it gets, we have a God that can offer all comfort. Can I say this tonight? These truths of him being the God of all comfort are truths that set him apart from all other human beings. It sets him apart from all the other religions of the world and it causes him to be worthy of all of the worship and the praise that is at the heart of what is being said by the Apostle Paul here in verse number 3. He says that he is the God of all comfort. I think tonight that might be where I need to close. So many more things could be said. Maybe God just wanted us to come into church tonight and rejoice in the God that we have. I know that there are several families in here tonight that you have went through in the days gone by some of the toughest trials of your life. Those are the ones that we know about. And I'll say this as a pastor, I know about the things that we know about, you do too. The things that we know about, we know about them because they're things we know about, right? <clears throat> but if we know about a handful of things, as many of things as we do know about in this church, I would admit that there's probably so many more burdens, so many more valleys, so many more tribulations and trials and heartaches that we don't hear very much about. It may be something that's mentioned just one-on-one -on -one to someone in a private moment of trust. It may be something that nobody but you and the Lord knows. It may be for a loved one. It may be for yourself. It may be for some co-worker. Whatever the case may be, all around the room, you can rest assured that every time we come in the house of God, we may look right, and we may know how to act right, and we may know how to put the smiles on our face and turn the frowns upside down, amen, and just try to 
make, make it look like everything's hunky-dory and everything's okay. But I'm telling you, if we could really see how it really is in the heart of men, women, boys, and girls that just walk into this church, we would be amazed at the broken hearts and the burdens and the trials that just a church our size is carrying. I don't have to preach the rest of the message to try to give you some hope tonight in this fact. If that's you this evening, I want to remind you on the pages of that Bible that we've just read, God has told you and has declared to us, and this is the only time in the Scriptures where He mentions that. He is the God of all comfort. If you need comfort tonight, you may come in here tonight and say, I don't know where I'm going to find the help I need. Tonight on the pages of that King James Bible, I'm glad to be able to, report to, to point you to a person, to point you to a place to where you can get the comfort you need. I may not be able to give it to you. Your spouse may not be able to give it to you. Your family may not be able to give it to you. Some help, uh, self-help book may not be able to give it to you. But I'm glad tonight there is a God in heaven who is the God of all comfort. He has the help you need. It is not, and this, this phrase will come up in this message, but it's not just who he, it's not just what he does. But the Bible says here in verse 3, it's who he is. I'm glad it's tonight it's not just what he does, but it is who he is. And because it is who he is, you can rely on his character every single time. He never changes. If you need him tonight, come on and get some help from the Lord. Our heads are Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Jesus, I will sell Jesus.